six minutes later than we planned, but nine minutes earlier than we normally start. It's a friggin' riddle. Um, <laughs> if you didn't tell, if we didn't say any times at all, I wonder if anyone could figure out what time that, we, that it is that we're actually recording right now. We're six minutes later than we planned, but nine minutes earlier than we normally meet. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like we should definitely not put this conversation on the podcast. I think you're right. Preacher, you were a preacher, but what kind of preacher were you then? Did you scream and shout and whisper and pout? Did you shame people for all their sin? Preacher, I bet you were corny with all of your poems and your jokes. But I bet you made them feel by keeping it real and winking at your smoking hot wife on the second row. Uh, <laughs> hey, good morning, Joe. So I've been wrestling with my printer this morning. Is that, uh, do you have a printer? I haven't had a printer for at least 20 years. I bought but a printer. <laughs> I bought a printer right before COVID 19 hit. I mean, literally. February or like the first week of March, 2020, huh. I bought a big old like one of those printers where you refill the ink. You don't buy wow. cartridges and you just and because we were like, we're going to hand out so many pieces of paper to people <laughs> soon. It was for our <laughs> church. <laughs> we literally got it. I mean, I wish I had the receipt because I bet you it was I bet it was March 10th, 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't printed a document since. Uh, hence my issue now that I'm trying to print out, because on today's episode proper, uh, we're going to talk through my second sermon that I ever preached at Risen Church, and I was trying to get a paper version of it first, but yeah, this mm. is a this is a 2020 model. They don't they don't do that anymore. <laughs> they don't print anymore. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, Hey, were you ever in Boy Scouts? <laughs> That's a good transition. I was not. I was actually in Girl Scouts, but not in Boy Scouts. Um. Oh, that's right. That came up once before. That probably did come up. That was that was before it was cool to be gender bendy. Uh, yeah. You know, back in the 90s. Yeah. I just did it with my mom or whatever. It, it was, was decidedly my, you know, my, uncool. Yeah, right or right. wrong, it was. I mean, it was just that was the that was the deal. Yeah. Um. But I I now wrong. Um, right, not right or wrong. Wrong. <laughs> it was wrong. Yeah. Wrong. It was. <laughs> that's that's correct. <laughs> Sorry. So you were a Girl Scout. I was a Girl Scout. Was that's... it a brownie? Were you a brownie or a Girl Scout? I was a brownie. Okay. I was a brownie. Did you have the yeah. uh, the UPS uniform? You I, know what I'm talking about? I remember yeah, brownies wearing I, the same uniforms as USP, UPS delivery drivers. <laughs> That's correct. Okay. I think I only had the sash. I think I didn't get a whole uniform, you know, because I was a boy. Yeah. Well, I think uh, that would make it super obvious that you're a boy if all you wear is a sash. <laughs> <laughs> That's a stupid joke. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the UPS uniform doesn't leave a whole lot up to the imagination. You could usually figure it out if you look in the right place, but <laughs> but if all you got's the sash, okay, go ahead. Why don't UPS trucks have a door? Huh? Why don't UPS trucks have a door? They protect their fingies. <laughs> <laughs> they did have they did have doors and then like thirty <laughs> UPS drivers in a day slam their fingies in it. <laughs> That's a really good question, Joe. I don't What's the deal with UPS trucks? So we've been doing Boy Scouts uh with my with my son, my youngest Leo, who's seven and um just started like it's kinda we went to one one little picnic and um you know haven't got into it too much yet but what i thought was interesting about it is they start out 
um, with like this liturgy, right? They say the Pledge of Allegiance. Yep. And then they say like there's the the Scouts Honor Code, whatever. And it has oh shit! I wish I could remember. There's something about straightness in the Scouts Honor. Oh really? <laughs> but it's not. Oh, it's like okay. I I will be like. Um, this is not it. So if there, there are some scouts out here listening right now who I'm sure will send us hate mail about this, but it's something like this. Um, you know, I will be physically strong, mentally sharp and morally straight. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I see it like on my honor. I will do my best <laughs> to do my duty to God and my country okay. and to okay. obey yeah, the God scout law. To help other people at all times, to keep myself physically strong, mentally awake, and morally straight. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> okay. What I want to say about this, I think, What is, do you think they mean? <laughs> well, I think they mean straight. <laughs> yeah, I think um, so. But it's, it's interesting to me as, like having done this kind of crisis of faith journey <laughs> to watch myself parent uh, through scouts because like, okay. So, you know, we both grew up in like deep Christian nationalism Yeah, where like, I don't know if you did this at church, I would regularly at like the, the, <laughs> Oh, this is a, <laughs> Rabbit trail on a rabbit trail of this story, but a dream when I was a dream <laughs> when I was this is, yeah this is very Inception. <laughs> um, we had like a boys and girls club whatever at church for kids yeah so but <laughs> the girls were called girls in action yeah. and the boys were called royal ambassadors <laughs> yeah. So at Royal Ambassadors, um, we would say the Pledge of Allegiance to the to the American flag, and then we would turn around and say and say a pledge to the Christian flag, um, which I don't remember. But you know, it was just like that. It was the it was deep Christian nationalism, pledge to the Christian flag, um, and like that was probably the first thing for me that I that I deconstructed, you know, it was during like, we went to college, uh, in the middle of the Iraq war. Yeah. And we're thinking the first presidential election, I, I voted for, for George W for his second term. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is the first presidential election I could vote in and like Up against, <clears throat> uh, John Kerry. Yeah, that's yep. right. Yep. I remember um, that one. But did you buy Hunt's ketchup? <laughs> the the uh, Carey family for for listeners who aren't exactly from as old as us and from <laughs> and like whatever I don't know how how uh, public that is but like apparently John Carey's wife's family had some kind of ownership or stock of Heinz ketchup so it was a super Republican thing oh yeah the Heinz family Heinz they ketchup. like yeah. they run Pittsburgh. Um, it's yep. anyway. So what is the point I'm making? All right. So we came out of that kind of culture and that was the first thing that I really reacted against and really rejected. Um, like I became very adamantly unpatriotic. Yeah. Um, as, as a response to this kind of like terrible, unreflective, um, Christian nationalistic patriotism that I grew up with. And like, so I, on principle, I decided I would never say the pledge of allegiance, which like, I don't know, you know, when you think about that, when you're 18, 19, 20 years old and you think like, that's going to, I'm going to really show the world something there. Uh, I never have an opportunity to not say the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> it just never comes up anymore. That's true. That's true. <clears throat> and so, like... You know, can I, I just want to interject and hold your thread. You don't even have to listen yeah. to me. I'm just going to throw it in here. Um, I also, at around the age of, I think it was 16 or 17, 
stopped saying the pledge, um, like at school and all of that, because oh, of you my, did it even earlier because than... of my faith, because of my Christianity. Yeah, I got it in my head that I was like, I pledge allegiance to the. Fl- Wait a second, I have but one allegiance. Well, that was exactly my yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, that was exactly it. I was like, I don't remember I didn't anybody come feeding to me that. Oh, see, I I kind Did, of do got you feel that like you heard, co- heard it from somebody? Okay. Um, I just remember th- honestly, sincerely, like having a a real conundrum with it, like saying, "Well, if I pledge a," li-, but I, I'm sure it had to do with nine eleven and the Iraq War, and you know, like un. Christ-like things our nation was doing that I was kind of like, well, if I'm going to be a follower of Christ, I can't pledge my allegiance to... I mean, Jesus said that once, right? He he was like, you can't have two gods. You can't have two allegiances. Like, that's literally the words of Jesus. Yeah. 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 So, like, I I was real adamant about this, at least in my mind, and I was like, you know... My kids will never pledge allegiance to the flag, which my <laughs> my my kids have never been in public school, uh, and so I don't think I think this was probably the first time Leo ever heard the pledge of allegiance in his whole yeah. seven years. Uh, yeah, it was when we went to Boy Scouts, and like so here he is trying to. I'm watching as he like tries to fumble through this pledge of allegiance that he's never heard and commit himself to God and country and to moral straightness. (laughs) And I'm kind of like, all right, whatever, you know, we're here for the camping trips and like, I don't care. Like it doesn't. And there was a time when I was in the process of deconstructing and a long time. Cause this, like I said, this is the first thing that kind of hit me. Um, so, for for the last 20 years i've been like adamantly opposed to this kind of thing and like it was a hill that i would die on right and i now find myself going that's funny yeah that's (laughs) that's a weird place to be i i i can relate so hard i guess like uh, you know around so whenever i had babies um Whenever I think Nora was one year old and Adeline was three or four, there was a time when we happened to be with my wife's family on 4th of July and they had bought them red, white, and blue outfits, you know, adorable little red, white, and blue tank tops, head to toe, all of this. And I was livid about it you know (laughs) so this was like this was like six or seven years ago whatever it was yeah i couldn't i was so angry about this i was like this is not the allegiance of my children this is not who i'm not gonna have little america babies whatever yeah um and then fast forward to a few years later uh just how quickly things move Adeline comes home from her first day ever of kindergarten and says, Dad, we did the weirdest thing today. We all stood up and we faced the corner of the room and we talked to the flag. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody knew what to say to it, but I didn't know what to say. (laughs) And I was like, you're right. That's hilarious. Figure out what they're saying. Let's talk about that. (laughs) Uh, It's pretty good. Um, so I, I had a really interesting, uh, I I don't know. Mine, mine was a little, these, these both feel like good openers. I'm going to cut this while I, what did I tell you I was going to talk about? Oh yeah. So I was, um, this is, uh, I'm going to be. If the details of this seem a little foggy, it's because I'm trying to, I'm going to try to protect um, everyone involved a little bit because I think this was a very uh, innocent and and honest kind of uh, thing that just occurred to me as very funny. Um, if I were there, I would have pointed out how funny it was, but I wasn't there. And so that's why okay. I'm going to be a little more sensitive to it because it could sound like I'm just, um, it's a lot of vamping for a little thing, isn't it? My uh, <laughs> My daughter... Um, one of my daughters 
has had like a little bit of just don't want to go to school anxiety from time to time, like in her first couple of years of yep. it, she just has quite a few days where she's just like, nah, not today. Um, we'll stand at the door and wait for a few minutes. And we've not done a, I mean, there's been a couple of days where she cried. Most of the time if she cries, we just bring her home. We don't really care about school that much. <laughs> um, but she kind of like, she wants to go, but then there's a part of her that doesn't want to go. Um, and so I told her a couple of weeks ago, I said, Hey, what if I get you a, um, a, a gummy, like a, like a gummy vitamin kind of thing that will help you with some anxiety. Um, because, and then we were like, you know how mom and dad have some gummy bears <laughs> that are vitamins sometimes. And if we feel a little too anxious, we'll eat one of our gummy bear vitamins and we feel a little less anxious and a little more giggly. Um, so we're having this conversation and, you know, I had researched it a little bit. I can't remember what it was, but there are like some, you know, they're basically like bravery vitamins or something like that. They're known to known to be good for the parts of your brain that respond to fear. And, and there's some that are really safe for children. And to be totally honest with you, they probably don't do anything at all. Um, <laughs> sure. But the placebo effect is a real thing. Like it really will... Yeah help that it will you help just buy a, a regular pack of gummy bears exactly or or just a regular pack of even just vitamins and just say more vitamins in you will make you feel better you'll feel better about the day i promise um because this kind of thing has really worked well for her before it's just you're learning i i think there's something to it's not playing tricks it's like you're learning rituals and things that you can do that help you like she was she'd lay down at night and say my stomach hurts and so we'd pull out an essential oil and rub it on her belly and she's like that helps okay I'm gonna go relax now and it's just sort of deciding to feel a little better deciding to put your faith in a ritual even when you know it's a little silly seems to work it's why like I still pray sometimes and then afterwards I'm like what was that (laughs) (laughs) I feel kind of better I don't exactly (laughs) but all right Oh man, I forgot to say amen again. Bye God. <laughs> All done here. Uh you even heard me say I doubt that this was real. Um So anyways, th- this this all happened and so she told her grandmother while she was visiting Megan's parents that about the the vitamin thing. She was like, "Yeah, mom and dad have these vitamins that they take sometimes whenever they're feeling a little bit uh, sad or scared or whatever, and it helps him feel better. So dad's going to get me some of those. Um, and <laughs> M- Megan explained to her, she was like, yeah, we were just, Drew had been studying and reading even honestly about the placebo effect and especially in children that ritual and just teaching them to self-regulate even with something involved, like take this and then we're going to feel better is a ritual that works. Um, and her mom responded to that. Well, the Lord can do that too. Unironically, <laughs> she okay. I think obviously, I think she thought she was saying, "Yeah, if you pray, the Lord will fix you." But yeah, she yeah, wasn't yeah. listening to what we were saying. <laughs> <laughs> that, that in fact we did not think that these gummy bears were going to do anything at all but we thought if you think it'll help it can help and then her mom's like yeah that's what the lord does <laughs> oh yeah i thought that was a lot of fun that was great Yep. Um, so last week we started a um, a bit of a conversation that is not like an, a running series of the show. It's uh, we've said I think th- this will be three weeks in a row that we say these are probably the final episodes of the Crisis of Faith as we know it. We're gonna try to make it to one hundred episodes. Um, <clears throat> well. 99 if we could ever figure out what happened to episode 48 (laughs) (laughs) which we claim we rediscovered and released as episode 48 once but there's still one less episode (laughs) than it says there is (laughs) um but uh 
so so we're kind of winding down the the way that we've been having this conversation and as a part of that i thought it might be kind of fun for me to revisit some sermons that i was writing before i really became open to i i think my faith was deconstructing well before i started this church well before i became a pastor of a church that i planted um but I don't think I knew that. I certainly mm-hmm. wasn't admitting it at the time. And so I thought it might be fun to kind of go back and look at some of these sermons. And uh, and as I said last week, uh, it's only a matter of time before somebody asks me to preach again. And I don't want to have to write new sermons. So I want to see which of this, what of this is uh, redeemable and if we could use it. And then we also have a couple of other ideas for things that we might do to just sort of revisit this. And, uh, yeah, it's neat it's, to kind it's a 15 of... episode eulogy. Uh, <laughs> right. It's kind of like, um, well, it's kind of like the Boy Scouts thing that I was talking about earlier. It's like looking back on my righteous indignation about uh, Christian nationalism. Like, I mean, it makes sense. I understand exactly why I was anti, like, where I was committed to my children will never say the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. But like I just yeah. can't access the emotion of it anymore. Um Yeah. But I get it. I mean it all makes sense and it's so it's kind of it's kind of fun to to look back on that with kind of like what well, the eyes of having the experience of right of having a crisis of faith and like well, looking back at what it was like to be in that moment, and I think that's what we're sort of well, doing yeah, with and, your and on this on on this side of it, it's really interesting the way I'm able to look back and be super sympathetic, because I think during Crisis of Faith, I was frequently looking back and saying, "What an idiot I was," and everyone yeah. is who's in it, and I right. don't feel that way anymore. I actually I feel more. Um, you know, some now I get this is privileged. I don't know. It's probably worth it to always say this is a privileged position, but I am still pretty nostalgic about all of it. Like there is still a part of me sometimes that is like, God, if I hadn't had if I hadn't thought about it too much, I could have just kept my career thing going the way it was going <laughs> and I could have yeah. stayed in and I could have, you know, found ways to make this a fruitful and and meaningful life and I still would have believed that you know the older I get the closer I get to heaven and like all of these things that you know were maybe somewhat comforting to to lean into a little bit um you're but, saying you're privileged in the sense of like that I can you feel weren't abused about it. in the church that and I you was, weren't yeah that my the, you the, won the church game I we won both, the church game. we both I was won everything the lottery. I, I was everything I was supposed to be yeah. for them I was morally straight uh, <laughs> as it were <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> but uh but yeah so looking back at it somewhat sympathetically i'm i'm finding some value in doing especially since i uh am sort of contracting as a musician with a church now i don't do this with everybody else i contract with so I, that part of it is a little odd like i i don't look into people's marriages before I sing at their wedding or <laughs> yeah, right. or uh, or talk to the manager of a casino <laughs> to find out how clean all of the money is and that they're making sure to cut people off before they do too much damage to themselves or their families yeah. or anything like, like that's not a but for whatever reason I feel a deeper connection to this and so I'm I'm trying to find a a sympathetic relationship with it a um at least a relationship where I could say hey if you want to do this, I there's parts of it I think you'd be happier if you abandoned. But if you don't want to, that's fine too. Whatever. Um, I don't go around picking. What I'm saying is I don't go around picking apart all the beliefs that I think are damaging in everyone else's life, and everybody has them. Um, so the second sermon was uh, called "Life Is Better with Company." So the sermon series that I started this church with was "The Better Life." You know, and yeah. the first week was very much just sort of a come to Jesus salvation invitation um, kind of thing. And also it was a even if you don't come to Jesus, he's already come to you. That was essentially what I was saying. Like, Jesus really likes you and you're fine. So thanks for coming. No decisions to be made. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> uh, it's it's fun very frequently to look back and say, I can see why this church didn't work. <laughs> didn't. Did you though? <clears throat> did you do at at Risen Church the equivalent of like an altar call? No, you never did. I that. mean, was that well, part of your? I mean, that was like I can't imagine my church experience without like that was the essential part of the church service. Yeah, it was huge. It was make huge. a decision, rededicate your life, get saved, come down, know, front. stop backsliding, whatever. Yeah, come down front. Yeah, come. Down we front. have li- we have literature. <laughs> come, <laughs> others are coming. That's Billy Graham. <laughs> Remember that one? <laughs> so good. Yeah. Come, others are coming. We have literature. <laughs> oh, no. I thought you were just quoting like every preacher you ever had. I don't know what that is. <laughs> they were all quoting Billy Graham. <laughs> we, yeah. Okay. Uh, but uh, no, we didn't do. I mean, I don't think maybe like a handful of times. It was not a. It was not a recurring thing. Uh, we initially met in a movie theater, so pra- very just practically. We couldn't do that, so I I don't know if we would have because I was pretty charismatic and and even even where my where my faith doesn't align with it, I'm still I'm still charismatic in my relationship with evangelicalism. I still feel most comfortable in expressive, like physically noticeable expressions of faith. Um, and I know you didn't yeah. come from a charismatic background, but I do still think that like come to the altar is still a charismatic expression, even if it's within a Southern Baptist church. Like I think yeah. get up, raise your hands, walk forward, like show people what you're, you know, show people something physically or express physically um, what well, you we had believe. You know, I think that I think that charismatic Christianity sort of really. Um, made its mark on my tradition in the sense that, like, okay, yeah, we did do the altar call, which is, I, I don't know, universally evangelical, but, um, like, at church, you would sing hymns, uh, a piano and an organ, and yep. everybody would kind of keep their hands in their pockets. But when we would go to youth group events, that was, like, there were guitars and everybody had their right. hands up in the air and right. swaying and like that, that part of like Jesus movement char- uh, yeah. charismatic stuff really made its way into at least youth group culture yeah. uh, in my tradition. And that's the power of like, that's the power of music within evangelicalism too. That's like, that's the Hillsong influence. That's yeah, the, yeah, cause yeah, the right. bottom line is back then there were not Southern Baptist churches churning out music that people could sing. So like, if you wanted like guitar driven concert whatever contemporary christian music was coming out of you know hillsong is a an assembly of god adjacent church and that's where it all began and even to this day like bethel is where a ton of charismatic music comes from it's a super uh or a church music comes from and it's a super charismatic movement um stephen furtick's church which is southern baptist but you wouldn't know it, you know, you would think that was a very charismatic approach to things. Um, anyway, I don't know how we got on that, but no, I don't, yeah, Yeah, I was, we didn't have, um, we didn't have altar calls proper, but I would not have been opposed to it. Um, I don't think I just wouldn't have done it every week. And I was so interested and this came up last week. I was so interested in the skeptic. I wanted to talk to the person who didn't think that we should be there doing what we were doing. Joe just threw up a big T.O. and then he just left the room. I don't know what happened. Someone has come to his door. He's being robbed currently. He won't know what I said here until I until this is released, until publicly people can hear what I've had to say about him. He looks weird today. He looks so weird. Joe, try to remember what you were wearing back then and don't wear that again. You look weird. 
So uh, the sermon, life yep. is better <clears throat> with company. With company. Um, all right. So I have an I have a very very typical to my tradition like attempts at being funny up front. Um, little story. I grew up in Southern West Virginia where all activity was group activity. Um, we didn't have anything better to do than to hang out with friends and watch movies or start fires or ride skateboards down massive hills into traffic or chop down trees with pocket knives. Did you do all of that? I don't know if I ever chopped down a tree with a pocket you didn't knife. Go, did you go outside? I, yeah. You went outside? Yeah. But I, I, uh, that's that's pretty impressive. Well, so here's the joke I made. I said, I want you to know I've tried to do all of those things uh, in recent weeks, and they are just not fun anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the movies that were so funny to watch with my friends growing up are stupid now. Megan thinks uh, Megan never thinks it's a good time or place to start a fire. Uh, my skate for my skateboard feels more dangerous now than it did back then. Um, I think it's because maybe I'm taller now. Mm, yeah, center of <laughs> gravity, right, and further to fall, and uh, and I have to pay my own medical bills now. So it's that does make you think differently about it. <laughs> um. So what I discovered in my sermon research was none of these things are good memories because they are good a good use of time. They're good memories because they were lived with company, right, with friends. They're good memories because um, our best memories are always tied to people that we really liked. And then, all right, so this is a pretty fun exercise, though. If I were to ask you what's the best day of your life, my guess would be that you would say well, the day I got married or the day I had a child. And if you really think about it, those are days where you get permanent company. Like, why are those days? It's like this because that's a day when somebody looked me in the eye and said, hey, I'm going to stick around for quite a while. Or you have a baby and you're like, I'm going to stick around until I don't need your money anymore or whatever. Like, there's a, <laughs> the, the best days of our life, we do typically point back and, like, it's, it's, a, it's a company thing. It's a friendship thing. So, anyways uh what did i use for oh yeah so i said last week we were in matthew or uh john john 4 okay the story of jesus meeting this woman at the well yeah and i said there was kind of an interesting thing that happened uh and i don't remember if i explore it in this sermon or not yeah Um, didn't you like in the last sermon i thought this was weird it was about jesus getting there but you didn't actually talk about the story of the woman at the well is that true um. Yeah, mostly, and that might have been why. Because the next week I was going to talk you, about. Okay, you're going to get to it. You got to. Yeah. Is you know you need sermons every week. So if you're you doing forty minutes every week, out. you got to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, in this one, I'm actually going to talk about, and I did not read this before. Um. So we'll just see what comes of it. Um. This one has not a three point sermon. It oh. has four. Four points. Four points. That's that's unorthodox. Yep. Um, cut me off at any time on this. But I'm just going to power through and see what's here. John 4, 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. She's replying to Jesus saying something to the effect of, yeah, things are about to change. And she says, yeah, yeah. I know. Um when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus tur- turned to her and said, I am the Messiah. Um, Does he say that, really? Yeah. Well, in this translation, that doesn't mean he really said it, but it's pretty useful to somebody. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So this is the longest conversation Jesus ever has on the record. I thought that was notable. She came to the well around noon, She's, which is quite possibly the hottest part of the day. She's trying to avoid the people of her village, maybe. I don't know. This is These are the assumptions I was making. She very likely lives in isolation from others. Who knows? She's had five husbands. Oh, I said, well, Drew, she's had five husbands. She's got at least a few friends. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, uh, that's, that's probably a misunderstanding. When we're told she had five husbands, we picture, you know, a heartbreaker of a woman collecting alimony times five, and she's got her hook <laughs> set in a sixth, but that's just probably not how we should read this. Um, she has not had five wedding ceremonies, five receptions, five gift registries at Crate and Barrel, and five honeymoons. Um, all that we should read into this is that she's had at least, oh yeah. All right. I'm going to get conservative here. She has given 
at least five men a part of herself that only a husband should have been given. Oof. Oof. And then I, res- <laughs> and then I said, I'm not going to give you the talk on your second Sunday here. Um, that's not why I'm bringing this to your attention. I'm also not going to try to reconcile the differences in her, in her culture and ours. So here I am addressing the skeptic again. It was like, that's not, okay, that's, that's, here's what the Bible's saying. And it doesn't yeah. reconcile super well with, with how we live our lives. So let's not, let's not get too caught up in the details of it is what I was getting at. Yeah. And then I just want you to understand her situation as fully as possible. She is not doing well relationally. She does not feel loved. That's my assumption here. Is that a big leap? I'm curious up front. Yeah, well, I mean, we talked about this a little bit um, last time, I think, that the text says she has five husbands. It doesn't say necessarily that there's anything illicit happening, that right? She, she might be a, yeah. a, a widow uh five times over um yeah maybe she just know. lived way too long she's like a hundred she might yeah so you know who knows and i think there probably is <clears throat> so the other thing that i didn't say about this last time is that um you once i say this you'll know immediately if you think about the hebrew scriptures there's this like long tradition of stories of men meeting women at wells where they're like sexually mm-hmm. charged energy and they ended up getting, you know, there ends up being a marriage proposal. Um, and so I think you're probably supposed to read this as a little flirty. Um, yeah. Between Jesus and this woman. Like it's what's yeah. scandalous. It's not scandalous that he's talking to a woman. That's not, um, you know, we did talk about that last time. Like that gets thrown around that like, Oh, Jesus was so woke talking to women. That's not true. Like the society was not that backward that men weren't allowed to speak to women. Um but you probably should read it as a little bit flirty and a little yeah. like charged. Um just because of the context. I don't know where I was going with that. Oh, so like yeah, so maybe there's something provocative about her past being implied. But nothing provocative is said about her past. And I think what you can at least say is this is a woman who's got some heartache. I mean, you don't have you don't have five marriages and not have some heartache, no matter what role you played in their those marriages ending or whatever. Like that's you've you've seen some shit, you know? Yeah, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. I think maybe like one of the first observations I ever made on John chapter four was, um, and I I was definitely not thinking that way, like what you just said, but I should have been, was saying Jesus asking this woman for a drink is like us asking someone for a drink. It's like you're demonstrating interest in someone whenever you say like, yeah, let's get a drink. Now it could be, I mean, purely platonic it can be i mean i do that for business i do you know what i mean like but one of the first observations i ever made was to look at someone and say hey let's get a cup of coffee hey let's let's grab a beer let's let's sit down and have a drink i don't know why but for us now again does that does their culture fit ours that easily sure if you're an evangelical um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can turn it into whatever you want to turn it into. But I, I think I should have been considering it as a little more charged. I mean, and the disciples come back and they're shocked to find him talking to the woman at the well, sharing a drink. Like, there is there is yeah. something here. Even, you know, the fact that she's a Samaritan is something. The fact that she's a woman maybe is something. We don't know that for sure. I hear what well, you're saying, that it's probably not you know, the, on the level that we would like to say it is, but there is something about this that makes anybody but Jesus uncomfortable. Even the well, woman gets kind of uncomfortable with like, okay, so what? Are, what is this? So if I, um, you know, in our culture, it's not at all scandalous for me to talk to women. I do it all the time. But if I ask a woman to go Whoa. get a drink with me... <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> 
Am uh, I be? Are you inviting me to be your accountability partner right here, right now? <laughs> you talk to ladies, <laughs> old ones, uh, right? Super old. Yeah. Only super old ones. <laughs> right. Okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> the sort that hold hold your hand in both hands. <laughs> 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 okay, that's okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> I like that you did that, so we don't have to put a number on what is considered old. Yeah. <laughs> old as if whenever you're talking to a young man, you take his hand in both of your hands, then yeah, you're a little, you're, you're getting up there. <laughs> <laughs> only only people who've been around church for a long time know about this. Um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, so you know you, I, I talk to women, but if I were to ask a a woman for a drink, do you want to go get a drink together? Mm-hmm. Well, that probably like that that means something. You have to either like already be friends, like pretty good friends with this person, for it to not be implying something, or you have to say like. Yeah. Do you and your partner and like me and my wife want to go get a drink or like you know some kind of right. mitig- to to make it not you have to qualify it if you don't want it to sound like you're hitting on them right. or asking them on it for a date right yeah and so I anyway all of that to say like I think that's I think that's worth considering in the story okay so verse twenty seven just then the disciples come back they are shocked to find him talking to a woman but none of them have the nerve to ask. Now, this is, again, like, I've, uh, what do you want with it? It doesn't say they're shocked to find him talking to a Samaritan. It says they sh- they're shocked to find him talking to a woman. So we can read into that whatever we think. Um, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? Um, and then verse 28 says, The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone. Um, that's the that's the details. That's That's... The nitty gritty of this is they come back and she's like, ooh, and she runs away. Um, But she runs away with a specific purpose that gets revealed in the next couple of minutes. Um, All right, so here's what I did. I got into, I got four points that I wrote about this. I want to offer you some thoughts to pave the way for strong friendships. So basically this was a self-help sermon on how to be a good friend and how to build good like long lasting relationships. And I think maybe I was trying to pitch, you know, the country club aspect of our church here. It was like, you're here, it's week two. Um, here's what I'm offering. I think, I think we should be family. Yeah, let's be friends. Yeah. <laughs> this is an interesting, um, like before you even get into the sermon, it's just an interesting point about evangelical sociology. And maybe it's something that, um, you know, is worth retaining in some sense. I think we talked about this. I don't Anyway, I'm qualifying too much. Um, like you hear evangelical sermons about how to, how to make and keep friendships, mm. how to get out of debt, how yeah. to forgive, um, forgive like, people in your past. Yeah. For, like, um, how oh marriage there's so many evangelical oh, sermons yeah. about like how to have a healthy marriage um there's in some circles a lot of evangelical sermons about how to have a healthier body right like yep. how to exercise and how to eat right and like yeah i did that some that's interesting yeah that's interesting that like this whole I don't know. I I can never tell when I'm thinking about church. Like, is that is it a good thing that we're a that the church could be a resource for? Because that that doesn't happen outside of evangelicalism. You never like. I would never go to my church and hear a sermon about like five tips for effective marriage communication or right, you know right. three. Because uh, you guys use the Bible, <laughs> yeah. for your sermons. Right. <laughs> um. Like it just doesn't happen, and is it is it a good thing that the church offers financial advice and marriage advice and like health advice? Like you know that those are things that matter in people's lives. So is yeah. that a good thing, or is it like okay, stay in your lane? 
Like this doesn't have this. This has got nothing to do with you. You know, I don't want you in my bedroom or my refrigerator or my wallet right. or whatever. Right. Um. Well, the, the I genuinely can't tell the way that the things get sort of conflated, like the way that that those types of teachings get conflated with Christianity, is is problematic. It is yeah. whenever you start talking about like we're going to teach you how to have good communication in your marriage. I've always felt the need to say um the Bible does not teach this. Not the Bible doesn't doesn't outline a marriage like anybody's in this church at all. It does not foresee a situation where you're like meet somebody in college that you think you like and then you do Thanksgiving with their family. And then a year later, you're like, maybe we should get engaged and then we should throw a party and, you know, make it legal. Like, that's not a thing the Bible foresees at all. It doesn't address it at all. So anytime you see people talking about husbands and wives in the Bible, it doesn't mean you. It's just not like it. It's not like it at all. It doesn't mean that there's not romantic love in the Bible. um, Because I think maybe there is a little bit sometimes, but it's usually... I don't know. This is just not a fair comparison to make. And so I think yeah. on on one level, I would say the way like teaching practical financial advice and conflating that with Christianity, I think that's tricky. That's not Christianity. Is it helpful? Is it useful? Is it a good reason for churches to possibly in situ in certain situations get to keep their 501c3 nonprofit status? Maybe. Because they might actually be providing a service for, you know, making the world a better place like nonprofits are supposed to um, in that. But they're also doing it in in a uh, very specific and targeted way. But all nonprofits are. All nonprofits are saying, like, none of them are saying, uh, you know, AA doesn't ask you, you know, if you think that maybe you could probably still drink a little bit and they're like no this is there's only one way to be an aa yeah, you get a right. coin when you stop drinking completely and if you drink it again we take the coin like that's there there is kind of a um so i'm on both sides of it am i being clear like i'm kind of saying like yeah totally. i think these things are good and they kind of could make sense if they're not being mean uh which they often are well, I think, but also you know, it's not christianity like that's, the thing is, if, if you get, okay, so like Dave Ramsey style, we've been over this. Dave Ramsey is a dick, right? We all know. Yeah. But like, okay, Dave Ramsey style financial advice is one branch of like one way of thinking about how to do finances to be like radically anti-debt and stuff. It, in that kind of theory, it's sound advice whatever there are other people who have other other understandings of how to do debt or how to you know how to do your finances and i i have no opinion about that but like okay so if you had somebody teaching people how to have healthy finances in that way fine maybe fine to maybe helpful but like it's the moralism of it it's when you say okay if you're not doing this you're mm. You're going to have, like, this is a sin. It's a sin to have debt. Um, Right. And you know where sinners go. Right. Like, when it gets tied into all the moralism and all the judgmentalism and all the threat of the rest of the package of evangelical Christianity, then it's really fucking dangerous. Yeah. So maybe maybe that's the only issue. Maybe the the conflation of this with the, with the, religious element with the faith element is the only problem because i mean i i work with um i work with clients with um mental health disabilities and we often talk about their debt we often strategize that you know how we're going to get out of debt and avoid getting back into it like that those are conversations we regularly have like this is how this is a, a helpful conversation to have with people there is not a faith element but it doesn't sound that different either. Like we're there is sort of a, a conversation of like there's 
future punishment for these decisions now <laughs> yeah. or future reward for these decisions now, which, yeah. you know, we addressed very early on in Crisis of Faith. It was like, we don't believe there's no heaven and no hell. We just think there are a lot more present realities than, you know, something that you get after you die, no matter how good you were, as long as you prayed the right prayer and were born in the right place. Like that, that, that doesn't make any sense. It's not helpful in, at any level. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, I, I don't hell, know. I'm, hell is the result of yeah. you know you making these bad decisions. Yeah, um, and even like just having a better a definition, punishment. a better definition for sin. It's like what is is sin real? Sure, but I don't. But that word is so charged that whenever I yeah. say the word sin, so many people think like, oh yeah, he's talking about gay marriage. It's like, <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm talking about. Um, <sighs> choices, behaviors that we do that bring hell into our life and the lives of others. Like that choices we make that ruin things, that 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 mess things up, I think is is still a that's still a uh, a teaching it's kinda like what you said last week about no um no college professors really are teaching there's no such thing as absolute truth or absolute law. That there's not like that there's not some greater force at work um, that indicates that some things are actually just true <laughs> and some things are actually just false. It was like, it would be really difficult for a thinking person to not, I mean, unless they live completely outside of any culture and any relationship with other people, then maybe there, there could be a, a bit more relativism to, to your morality and to the decisions and choices you make. But if you live within a culture, then that's just true. There's just things that are, accurate <laughs> there are right. expectations there are norms there are things that if you do them wrong there will be a penalty to pay there will be a price to pay like that's um i don't know this is complicated today this conversation yeah. is making me yeah. feel like we haven't even gotten into the right into the sermon yet <laughs> the four points well i'm gonna hit them real quick um, all right let's do it uh all right so these are the four ideas Four things to remember if you want to live your life with company. If you really want to have company and be good company. You want to have lots of good friends and be a good friend. Uh, you have to remember, first of all, you are valuable because God values you. Now, that's an interesting uh, first approach. Um, I, I think I was trying to say you can begin to treat others like they have value when you settled that you have value, like kind of saying hurt, you know, it's the TD Jakes would say hurt people, hurt people. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, maybe there's, I, I think that's what I was getting at. That's um, a point that I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with and think is absolutely right. And when you read it, I internally went, Ugh, yeah, gross. that's, that's how I thought <laughs> I, I saw it. And I was like, Oh, I don't want to read this out loud. Um, I yeah. do hate the way I said it. You're valuable because God values you. Um, but if we want to get beneath it to the psychology of it, then we're basically saying, well, you need to like you. Like you got to, yeah. you got to accept you to some extent. Your value is not dependent on some actions that you, yeah. Do or what yeah, other your, people think of you or whatever. Yeah. Your shame, your guilt, your, um, your anger with yourself, your unwillingness to forgive yourself. These are all things that are going to damage other relationships in your life so it's important to do the the internal work i think is that's the words i would use for it now um as a as a unevangelical (laughs) whatever now it's it is interesting to me that i don't know how this connects to the thing that we just read at all (laughs) i'm just like okay there was a bible story here comes some points um The second one, I do like this one a lot. I like the way even that this is said. Point number two, you don't have a responsibility to be offended. I think we, um, all right, let me just read my paragraph here because this this was a real high horse for me a lot. Um, This woman, maybe, this is a, again, I'm making assumptions here that I now shudder at a little bit, like I, I don't I don't think I understood understood first century Judaism as well as I do now. I still don't understand it super well, but I I definitely made a lot more assumptions back then than I would. This woman was an offense to her community and her community was an offense to her. She was even quite offensive toward Jesus uh 
when she attacked him for offering her living water, right? She kind of responds pretty quickly to that. She's like, I know what you did, yeah. Jesus' disciples were offended by the Samaritan people to the extent that they fled the city as soon as Jesus sat down at the well. They're like, all right, well, we're going to get out of here. Um, And then they're offended when they come back and they see Jesus talking to the lady. Offense is all over this story. Um, Fortunately, offense ended back in the first century. No one is offended by anyone else anymore. (laughs) So on to point number three. Uh, That was in italics. I forgot to tell you. Here comes a joke. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, But seriously, we might be living in the most offended time in human history. Social media, as far as I can tell, exists for the purpose of providing a platform for people to publicize their cat videos, which I find offensive, and to publicize (laughs) the things that they're offended about. Um I can hardly even keep up with all the things that I'm supposed to be offended about right now. There's musicians, department stores, websites, politicians, the weather, religious people, irreligious people, and on and on. It's exhausting. Um, But if you are to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and eventually the footsteps of this woman who sees Jesus face to face, then we discover that we don't have to be offended. We don't have a responsibility to be offended. This is very privileged. I I am seeing there it's, is a there is a it's place. It's so funny because I uh, mean we did a whole episode about this. I think that this is like, I mean it really sounds like you're you're taking down woke culture here, and like I'm sitting here listening to this and yeah. going, well, you're absolutely right. This is so obnoxious and also, ugh. <laughs> yeah, same yeah. same feeling I had about well, the last point. <laughs> Well, this was a, so here's how I said it at the end. I was like, when you're asked, when someone asks you, aren't you offended about what they said about, you know, fill in the blank, you get to say, nah, not really. I mean, do I disagree? Maybe, but I don't have to be offended. And then that, all right, so the point gets a little more clear here. I was saying offense is a friendship killer. You can't build meaningful friend relationship with someone who offends you. And I do think this was something that I was really inter- – I'm not reading now. I do think this was something I was very interested in um, LGBTQ conversation at the time. Mm, mm-hmm. I was not necessarily um, crusading for saying Christians should fully accept and embrace even though I believed that. I wasn't sure it was possible. Um, yeah within evangelicalism but i was saying you can't love the sin or hate the sin i was i was trying to say that's not a real thing you can't say i love a gay person even though i think they shouldn't be gay and shouldn't be married to that's not you couldn't love me that way if you came to me and said i love you but you shouldn't be married to your wife i'd be like well we can't be friends. That's not going to work. Like <laughs> right. she's too central of a part of my life. Maybe yeah. that's true. Maybe that's not true for everybody. But for me in my marriage, um, I'm so committed and so entwined with my family that if someone said, I don't think your family should be a family, I think I would have to say, well, if you're offended by my family, we're not going to, this isn't going to work. Yeah. Um, and I don't have to be offended by that myself, but it isn't going to work. We're not going to be friends. So you don't, let's see. Oh, I said the point that, yeah, that's, that's how we started talking again. Um, like we, we kind of weren't really just talking to each other for a long time. Not, not any animosity or anything. We just had kind of lost. Maybe not on your end. (laughs) I was still mad about those CDs. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but you, you first called me or contacted me, I think, about this question, like, how do I have this conversation with my uh, with my church that I'm planting here? I yeah. think. Yeah. Well, okay, and then I said, so I said this, this is like, I was assuming I was going to be talking to a room full of people who didn't know each other, um, but were maybe all looking for something, and I think that was true, that that is what Risen Church became, it was a, it was, it was a community of people who were all looking for something, didn't know the people that they came looking for at the same time until, you know, years down the road. Um, So I said, you can't build meaningful relationship with someone who offends you. And that's good news because everyone would offend you if you knew everything about them. (laughs) And so I said this on week two of my church. I said, you don't agree with the person to your left or the person to your right about everything. I guarantee it. You don't believe the same things. You don't value the same things. You don't despise the same things. You don't vote for the same people and the same issues, and that's okay. We don't have a responsibility to be offended. 
we get to show what people what it really means to be loved and valued by God, um, that we never have to be offended so we can actually pursue and love people. That was the, uh, and then I made a, a habit of saying a phrase like, um, let's see, we don't have to believe the same things to be family or something like that. Haven't you ever been to Thanksgiving <laughs> or whatever? Yeah. So that's, that's what I was getting at. We might yeah. be running out of time. Do you want me to hit these other? Yeah, hit them real two? quick. We, it's a podcast. Yep. We decide how long it is. That's true. That's true. <laughs> oh man. That was, that was a power move right there. I like it. <laughs> I like that energy, Joe. <laughs> you don't like it. You're going to leave. <laughs> You think it should have ended here? Well, get out. <laughs> uh, all right. I feel like I'm preaching. This is making me just preach. All right. Well, it's literally what you you are reading a sermon. I am reading a sermon. And I wrote them like... I wrote them in a way, and especially in the early days, I wrote them even longer because yeah. I had this paranoia that there would be a day that I you know, couldn't make it or whatever. And I wrote them in a way that I was just like, Megan, if you just got to get up there and read it, I think it'll work. Like it was, it was written like a chapter in a book. Like it'll, yeah. it'll take 15 minutes, not 40 and people dismissed early, but like somebody could just stand up there and read this. It, there was no thought in my mind whatsoever that someone other than me could talk to these people. Um, I would still feel that way. I think <laughs> if I started a church um, that had a, a somewhat evangelical banner on it, and was inviting the types of people that we were inviting to our church. There is, I know, I know one other person in all of Richmond that I would be like, yeah, it'd be okay if he talked here, but pretty much nobody else I would even trust to, to handle it. Not that I could handle it so well. I just felt like it was so delicate and like, I just didn't think that there was a, a, a diplomatic clarity for people like that. They didn't understand that they didn't understand the point I just made that like you think everybody in here votes the way you do. That's how you see a community like this. That's how you think church works. And I am the one who knows it's not true. You think that none of these people drink because Christians don't drink. I have shared a beer with almost every one of you in the room. (laughs) And so I have to be the one. You all think you're the only one. You all, that is, that's 100% true. Like one of the first gatherings we ever had where we had alcohol at it, because we didn't do that early on. Yeah. But then we started having them and I, and I literally made an announcement. I was like, Hey, I know every person in this room. I've seen every person in this room drink at least once. Sorry if I'm outing you, but I just wanted you to know you don't have to pretend you don't drink in front of these people. We're all fine with it. And the the room laughed, and then everybody ordered drinks. Like, it was, it was a, I just didn't think people understood the, yeah, the, the tightrope of, of this. Okay, yeah, verse, for sure. So here's the message this woman who now sees God as the source of her value and no longer feels a responsibility to be offended carries to her village. She goes back and she says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Um, so my point number three was, oh yeah, this is going to get complicated. Go so Jesus is telling his closest followers uh, the ones who didn't want to be at this well near Samaria for fear that they might run into a Samaritan. So he's having a conversation with them. He's telling them about how they're going to see God changing the lives of and, and hearts of uh, untold multitudes of people. And as he's saying this, a multitude of Samaritan people are coming over the horizon <laughs> towards them. So like they didn't want to go to Samaria because they were afraid they might run into a Samaritan. And then Jesus is like, just hang out just a second. And a huge like village of Samaritans is walking towards them. Um, And so point number three, if you want to have good friendships, I was saying, um, remember that all people have, well, listen to this word, unsurpassable worth. All people have unsurpassable. That's so weird. (laughs) It's just every point that you've made in this sermon, I've been like, yeah, absolutely. Of course they do. Why'd you say it so gross? Why'd you say it so gross? Uh, so she runs back to the village, uh, that 
maybe rejected her, maybe judged her, probably harmed her for the type of person that she was, for the life that she was living. And she tells them the good news of Jesus. All right, here's where we're going to all right, turn, start the organ. She discovers <laughs> that she has inherent value and worth, and she has it because God sees her, knows everything about her, and still likes her. Um, yep, yep, yep. I'm going to try to skip down a little bit. When you begin to see every person you ever encounter as having unsurpassable worth, you begin to experience the better life. (laughs) Oh, I'm not being as sympathetic to old me today. Yuck. Um, I mean, but right. Of course. Yeah, again. Again, that's why I think I might be be a Christian. I might be a Christian. (laughs) I just think it's gross. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I, I might be a Christian even though it's gross. It's um, yeah, it's like um I don't know. It's like it's like mayonnaise. It's great, but like you can't think about it. Yeah. That. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Um so I did say like this is a little less gross. I said pragmatically, if we're talking about, you know, life is better with company, life is better with friends, if you embrace what seems to be happening in this story here, then your circle for prospective friends grows much larger like pretty much we grew up we come from a culture where it was like well we're friends today you and i because you were the only person i was pretty sure i could be friends with because i knew you were a christian right so the (laughs) circle for like who could be like i I definitely couldn't date anybody who wasn't a christian and i couldn't like have a really good close friendship with somebody who wasn't a christian the circle was really small and so I was kind of making the point here to say, yeah, your circle doesn't have to be as small as evangelical Christianity. You're, you could actually, you could have a really deep, meaningful relationship with a Samaritan if you're a Jew. Like, that's the, that's the point I was making, which I, that's, that's a less grody. I don't know why I wouldn't have just taken that approach to say, <laughs> Jesus is saying, right. no, dudes, like, you could be friends with them, too. Like, it's just a human thing. <laughs> Unsurpassable worth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um my fourth point is not that interesting i just your purpose i had to throw the word purpose in um is to help people so it was sort of (laughs) like getting back around to recognizing that a really good way to to grow relationships is to like go into them saying i want to be helpful to people um yeah sure a fine thing to say and why are you fucking talking about purpose (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah well, because, Joe, the better life cannot be experienced alone. Preacher, you were a preacher, but what kind of preacher were you then? Did you scream and shout, or whisper and pout? Did you shame people for all their sin? Preacher, I bet you were corny with all of your poems and your jokes. But I bet you made them feel by keeping it real and winking at your smoking hot wife on the second row. Ah.